Well, I want to welcome everyone to the Montana DSA podcast. My name is Frank Kremkowski from Helena DSA, Democratic Socialists of America. This podcast series uh, is a series of interviews with interesting, intelligent, insightful people from Montana and elsewhere uh, that we began in January during the Montana legislative session. So this is our 26th podcast. And our guest today is Paul Edwards from Helena. I'll tell you more about Paul, but first I want to tell you a little bit more about DSA. DSA is an organization of democratic socialists that began in 1982 at the founding convention in Detroit, which uh, several of us from Helena DSA attended back in March of 1982. DSA is the largest socialist organization in America since uh, Eugene uh, Debs began to be the leader of socialism in the United States and ran for president uh, at least five times, 1900, 1904, 1908, 1912, 1920. Part of that time he was in jail because of his opposition to World War I. But DSA is an organization with chapters all across the country with hundreds of thousands of members. In Montana, we have four chapters with hundreds of members here in Billings, Bozeman, Helena, and Western Montana, which is primarily Missoula. DSA members are working to build a progressive movement for social change to counter the ill effects of the capitalist system that has destroyed democracy in so many ways in our country and has uh, preserved the uh, wealth for the few and uh, struggle for the 99%. So this chapter of the podcast, as I said, the 26th, and it's with our guest, Paul Edwards from Helena. He's a um, writer and and filmmaker who has uh, been working in as an active uh, member of, of the movement for uh, democratic society for years and years. He was active early and earlier times as many of us were within the Democratic Party until we gave up on them as being uh, uh, a dead end as far as basic change for democracy. Paul is a film writer who has uh, has started a, a, uh, a film website called Class War Films. And he and his partner, Lanny Kotler, uh, began that, and I want to tell you just a little bit about what uh, they said about uh, that that project before I ask Paul to uh, come on in. <clears throat> Paul wrote, Lanny Cutler and I lived the 60s. He was involved in the Berkeley Free Speed dust-up, and I was Bobby Kennedy's film crew director right to the end in Los Angeles when Bobby Kennedy was shot. We were both in Vietnam, he in the State Department and I working for CARE. Uh, relief agency, and we saw that Vietnam debacle in all of its hideous depth. We were radicalized then, and it only deepened and matured over the decades of Nixon, Reagan, Clinton, and, and others. The insane response to 911 under Bush and the congealing of Congress into an American Reichstag pushed us both into a sense that whatever we could do, however slight, we simply had to do. Well, Paul has been working in the environmental movement. He was part of the board of directors of the Montana Environmental Information Center and the Montana Wild, uh, Wildlands Alliance. And 
for a time, both of us and others were in the progressive Democrats of Montana before we all moved past the Democratic Party into uh, more active and, and uh, aggressive forms of working for democracy. Paul is a prolific author who has written uh, many, many articles that have been published in uh, journals, online journals, such as Information Clearinghouse, the uh, Greenville uh, Post, um, Counterpunch, and, and elsewhere. And his most recent article was an article called Print the Legend. And Paul will explain a little bit more about the title, but the title that was given to it uh, uh, on the inter, on that, pub, that was published uh, in the Greenville uh, Post, but at the Information Clearinghouse, the title America's Massive Effort to Destroy and Suppress Truth was the title that was given there. And, and Paul will explain about what, what that whole article is about. But if you have not read or seen Paul's films, you're in for a great treat of learning uh, because Paul, of all the people I've met, I think probably studied more and more in depth on a variety of topics than practically any person. So I'm gonna welcome my friend, Paul Edwards of Helena and ask him to uh, tell us more about himself and about this latest article that he's written. Thank you, Frank. Glad to be here in the first place to talk to you. Um, we haven't seen as much of each other in recent years as we did before due to the virus and so on, but it's really good to be with you. Uh, the article that I did recently, uh, I don't want to say too much more about myself because that's, to me, that's kind of beside the point stuff. And you did it very well as an intro. The, the the piece that I wrote recently, and I write continually, but not on a deadline schedule. I'm independent. I don't get paid. Uh, I, what I do, I do because I need to do it. And this article uh, that I recently wrote was prompted by the really ridiculous kerfuffle about raising the debt ceiling for America, which is a, a completely artificial and created uh, constant uh, goad and, and, uh, uh, and baiting of the American public to keep them continually on the boil, because this comes up and comes up and comes up continually. Uh, as you recall, uh, the, a while back, they shut down the government with uh, by not by the, the uh, voting against raising the ceiling. That was some 10 years ago, but it's, it's, it's an ongoing business that is a complete fraud. Our system of, uh, the article is substantially about why that is a fraud. The, 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 the way that we fund the government, the most powerful government on earth uh, of, the, of what's been the wealthiest country on earth is by uh, requiring the government, which is run by capitalist interests, to go to private banks, to a private banking system in order to borrow the money that they need in order to run their operation. This is one of the giant frauds of capitalism through, through, throughout history. Uh, the idea that the most powerful government in the world needs to borrow money from private lenders is preposterous on its face. The government 
is a sovereign government. It's empowered to do what it needs to do in order to operate. The whole business of requiring it to go to private interests to borrow money was simply a scam of the capitalists who owned the government and, and made that a requirement. The, the sensible thing is to empower the, I mean, the, United, the dollar after all is the reserve currency of the world and the dollars issued by the treasury. There is no reason in the world other than capitalist uh, chicanery and fraud why the government should have to borrow money when it could simply issue it, which it does in any case. In lots of, in, in, in whenever Congress authorizes money, the government simply issues it. There's no borrowing involved. But the thing is that they, they, they continually spend more because they don't tax corporations and wealthy individuals to the extent that they ought to, they are continually put in the position of, of generating more money for, to cover the expenditures that they make that, that since they can't issue their own, their own currency. So it's, it's, it's a complicated thing, and, but, but if human beings, if Americans understood the absurdity of requiring the most powerful government in the world to borrow the money that it operates on, the thing would would have to stop. I mean, it's 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 nonsense, it's madness. There's no reason for it, except that capitalist interests, banking interests, own the government. They they determine the, the big financial operations determine everything that government does. And as you've remarked uh, before, and as the DSA uh, holds uh, as as a as a fact, the, the the government is run for the sake of its owners and not for the sake of the people. So the article was really a, a, an attempt to get at the mythology of capitalism that has so so captured the world. You know that that even countries which are nominally socialist or who consider themselves to be socialists do not run on principles of socialism. They run on principles of capitalism. They are financed and they work through the capitalist system. It's, it's the vampire squid writ large. Matt Taibbi uh, once referred to Goldman Sachs, one of, the, one of the big banks, as the vampire squid because it's basically a predatory operation for extracting money from from the general polity. So that's what the article was about. It was about uh, the fact that the capture of American uh, opinion by this, this capitalist mythology that is has no basis in, in truth. It's simply them telling you how it's gotta be. Well, part of what you do in that article as well is to try to explain somewhat as you do elsewhere in your writings and in your films, uh, how this myth of uh, America being, um, you know, a democratic society, uh, not a capitalist society, no, a democratic society, uh, and even a Christian nation, uh, which is another uh, perverse myth that you that you explore in your writings as well. Uh, but what is it that uh, has made this myth gain such a deep hold? So that people uh, really don't realize that this is not a democracy. It's never been a democracy. It began as a uh, subtler colonialist invasion of, of this area of the world. 
What's your explanation for why it has such power? Well, I, I began the article by saying that, that human beings love legends. They love myths. They, they are, myths have the function of simplifying, apparently simplifying very complicated situations and, and circumstances. And therefore they tend to appeal to peoples who have a fairly simple understanding of how the world works. And two of the greatest myths that have governed the Western uh, cultures for since time immemorial are, are the Christian dogma and the capitalist dogma. The Christian dogma has been pretty severely beaten up over the years through the enlightenment and so on. Uh, and much of what was essentially mythology in the dogma was seriously criticized and, and shown up for uh, a system of mind control that was run by the elites of, of Europe and, and implemented by the, originally by the Catholic Church. But the, the, the mythology element in capitalism, which is much newer sort of myth than, than Christianity, I mean, capitalism didn't really begin until what, less than 500 years ago, uh, you know, we came out of feudalism and came into a situation which was in, a far greater enabler of human greed than feudalism had ever been. Um, you know, humanity is, as a, as a species, is, is had its beginnings and is rooted in competition for resources. And it was, that bitter battle for survival uh, in terms of who could control resources that characterized human life for as long, as far back as we can trace it. Uh, human greed has been a constant forever, as far as we know. Uh, and we know we trace it back to, you know, the early empires where they formed by by creating a combination of spiritual control and military or, or physical violence. That's, that's what began, uh, that's what made empires coalesce was the combination of those two factors. Um, human greed as, as represented by elites uh, built the structures of empire that have, that have operated throughout the ages. And capitalism is just the latest in the in the mechanisms that enable the concentration of human greed. There is no provision for social good in capitalism. None. Capitalism is not organized in order to take care of the human race. It's organized in order to facilitate the capture and the utilization of wealth. Period. That's what it does. And it, it, it could not sell itself very effectively to the masses if it represented itself as what it is. So it created this mythology just as Christianity did. I mean, the original, the, the original, uh, the followers of Christ originally were not an organized, systematized bureaucracy, uh, which is what the Catholic Church became. They were, they were following the basic philosophy that Christ taught which is a far different thing than the dogma that grew up around the Catholic Church and subsequently the Protestant churches. Uh, 
and, and similarly with with capitalism, it began as a, an experiment in how do we make more money out of existing human resources. And as they as they organized the system more effectively through the Industrial Revolution and on, capitalism took a greater and greater control of of the Western societies through the amassing of this financial power. And in, in representing themselves to the public, they sold themselves as the, providing for the greater good of, of the working classes and the, and, the, and the mass of ordinary people. And the people more or less bought into it. And the relentless propaganda, which has been a factor of the American system for, from the beginning, is very effective with people when it is pushed on them relentlessly by a power source that controls communication. And so you find whole societies accepting this tremendous exploitation of capitalism when there's no provision in it to take care of. You know, that, that version of capitalism as a mythology um, does lead to the characterization of the US system as an empire. And yet, um, I rarely hear people, you know, recognizing that and saying, well, of course, the US is an empire. It, it has always acted as an empire. Empires are not doing good things, they're expanding their power. And they're not doing it for the good of anybody except those who have the most power in that empire. And with the with the um, original mythology that uh, this country was a place where there were you know brutal uncivilized savages who uh, who to whom we could do anything to whom we had no uh, obligations uh, to respect their traditions their rights their land um, that that ideology of settler colonialism is a term that has become more popular now, but for the most part of our history, we thought of this as the uh, great American uh, experiment in expanding democracy rather than expanding capitalism and greed, as, as you've described it. So that dissonance between the reality is starting to seep in as people recognize you know, something's wrong here. Uh, there are millions of people who have no health care. Millions of people who have lousy jobs, which pay them not enough to uh, uh, make a living for themselves their, and their children. Um, they find that they cannot afford um, to send their children to school. Um, they cannot afford to uh, have a home that, that they can rent even. And in Montana right now, of course, there's a housing emergency, housing crisis in every community across the state. But that dissonance is, is, a, is a, although it's a reality, I think has not yet led people to say, well, um, the whole story has been a, a fraud as you presented here. And I, I think if people have not yet seen your 18 minute film, I'm not sure how many years ago that was, but it's called uh, Let Your Life Be a Friction Against the Machine, a short, hist short but crucial history of the United States. I think they'll get another you know, wake up uh, effort there if they were to look at that, which is at your class war films, as well as uh, 
as well as at uh, Information Clearinghouse and elsewhere, uh, YouTube. But what is it that is holding us back from overcoming that dissonance and just speaking the truth? Uh, people like you know, President Biden you know, end up every speech saying, and God bless our troops. Well, our troops in the United States and from my study of history have been the most um, militarized uh, destroyers of lives that the world has ever seen, not the saviors of any any place. Uh, how do people keep on living within this uh, uh, mythology without, uh, you know, cracking up and saying, "This has got to end"? There, there, there's there are deep reasons. There's a deep reason, certainly, for that, and that is that the original establishment of this country was done under basically under the landlord class you know all the people who are referred to as the fathers of this country were men of that we would at, at this stage of economic history call the one percent all of them they were all involved in the top economic echelon of American population. This is not to say that the establishment of the country was, you know, intentionally evil, but it was it's from the beginning, it was built not on democracy, but on a control of, of massive financial power. Uh, it was not built uh, in order to take care, uh, in spite of its catechism, it was not created in order to provide best for the mass of working people. It was created from the beginning to be a capitalist nation in which the 1% had the whip hand in terms of what happened economically and politically. We did a couple of films. One was called Political Fraud. The other is called Financial Crime, which go back to the beginning of America and look at its establishment and, and contrast it with the mythology that people are sold. You see, if I mean, I, you and I both were educated as as children. I'm sure I was, and I'm sure you were. We were fed the mythology of of the controlling interests of the country. In other words, we were told that this was a country that was benevolent, that was in the interests of mankind, whose purpose was to broaden the the level of support and privileges of ordinary people and to support justice to support uh, 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 political uh, equity. And none of that was true. That's mythology. And that's what we've been fed for as, as, as growing human beings, generation after generation we're fed this, which has bred what's called American exceptionalism, which is generally, uh, it's pretty pervasive among Americans today in the sense that that much like the, the Germans of the Third Reich, we have been told that we're the greatest and it feels pretty good to be told you're the greatest. And so you you what you do is you bury whatever it is that your country is doing that is evil and pernicious in the world under the sense, the comforting sense that it's all for the uh, all for human good. It's 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 unfortunate, but it's the mythology is so pervasive and has been is of so so long lasting, such long duration that the country is miseducated from the beginning and and there's no way to catch up capitalism needs to keep you ignorant it needs to keep you barefoot and pregnant it needs to keep you unaware of what's real in the world and completely sold 
on the nobility of your own position, whatever that may be. It's a fraud, and it's very hard for Americans to confront that. It, it, it. I don't want to be overly dramatic, but as a kid, I was terribly, uh, I realized in retrospect, terribly nationalistic and terribly devoted to the ideals as they were told to me, as they were sold to me, of the ideals of America. I was completely enamored of that. It was heartbreaking for me to have to run up against the repeated violations of all of that mythology again and again and again until I finally broke. And Vietnam was the final straw for me, uh, where I realized, wait a minute, none of this is true. All of this is false. I'm deluded. My country is doing things around the world and has been doing them all my lifetime, not in the interests of humanity, not in the interest of nation building, not in the interest of, of making a better life for more people, not in the interest of helping the ignorant, the poor, the lame, the halt, the blind. It's in, the interest that it's, that it's representing is the interest of the capitalist elite that wants to control everything in the world in the worst way and, and is willing to impose on the world any kind of cruelty in order to keep that hegemony. We're losing it now. There's nothing that can be done about that. Americans are, are hopelessly divided and, and miserable with what their government is giving them. But beyond that, the fact of the matter is that the, the, the controlling elites of this country know and know deeply that they're losing the position of which they thought of as exceptional and and uh, and eternal. You know, there was talk about the American era, talk about the age of the United States. The age of the United States is over because there's too much information about too much bad behavior, which is too ubiquitous and too universal to be denied, and too much of the world gets it now. And not only that, but other countries, because we have destroyed our working class, which is the, 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 the chief impetus for the whole Trump business, the MAGA business, the, the rebellions, the January 6th, the, the militias, the armed uh, resistors, both keepers and so on, they are, they're all raising hell about what they, they don't really understand what they're raising hell about, but they know they're, they're mad. And they're mad, not without reason. They have been ignored. They have been suppressed. They have been chiseled and bamboozled. And they're inarticulately, and for the wrong reasons, they're, they're up in arms. But they are not wrong about having been dissed and, and dismissed by their own government. Our government cooperated with capitalism in exporting the, the, all the engines of production of this country, except weaponry, except the building of bombs and guns and 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 uh, explosives and war materials have been exported, and with them the jobs that that these people had counted on. So it's it's all a fraud, and it's very hard for Americans to to accept that. Well, Paul, when I take a look at the news, uh, I, I recognize that every once in a while. Um, some of the people who are dissident voices uh, get interviewed uh, or mentioned. Uh, Edward Snowden, 
who uh, blew the whistle on the crimes of the US military. Um, Christopher Hedges, who um, we brought to Helena back in 2015, I think you might recall, who's a severe critic of uh, capitalism and the US government and its operation. Glenn, Green Glenn Greenwald, Jeffrey Sinclair from Counterpunch, um, Max Blumenthal, but a lot of these people are either um, in prison or, or uh, like Cy Hirsch uh, shunted off to the side. Cy Hirsch, of course, was the one who uh, blew the whistle on the, the My Lai massacre. And most recently has uh, revealed that the uh, blowing up of the uh, pipeline in the North Sea was the result of US operations. And he has been uh, ridiculed by various mainstream people as well. So th there are people who are truth sayers, I would say, including the ones that I've mentioned. And there have been people in the past, uh, John Pilger, Pilger uh, and a few people like that in the past. And Pilger is still around doing, doing work as well. Uh, all of these people who uh, are Bernard Fall during the Vietnam era. Uh, journalist who exposed the lies about the what was actually happening in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. But so many people apparently have never read any of these people, uh, have never heard of them. And it's a it's a it's a real challenge to say, okay, uh, yeah, people could uh, read some Howard Zinn and realize, uh, boy, we have been lied to. But in our education, I know we have teachers in the Helena school system who are trying to break through that barrier of mythology and, and lies, but I think they are still far and few between. And the question is, um, what are we gonna do about it? That, that, is, uh, that is indeed the question. Uh, and I'm afraid it's, you know, Lenin at a certain point before the Russian revolution wrote a, a pamphlet called Stodielets, which is uh, translated means what is to be done. And that's that's where we are now in terms of, of this country, because the country itself is being led into destruction, either through open war or through financial implosion, because the whole system of banking and, and money management is as corrupt and as vicious as it was in late Republic Rome. It's, it's unbelievably crooked and nasty and full of contradiction. And not only that, but it's in, it's in debt up to its eyebrows with, with, with borrowings and, and co-responsibilities and derivatives that, that functionally on paper render all the banks in America destitute at the moment. It's, it's, a, it's a fiction and it's being held up by the by the power of the capitalist oligarchy it's being held in place although there's nothing to support it the dollar is going to be is going to lose its status as the reserve currency of the world it's already happening countries are beginning to deal in in other currencies rather than the dollar they've realized that they've been used uh, by the american system of capitalism so we're at, we're at a at a critical point, and because the American education system is devoted to keeping you ignorant and devoted to keeping you mythologized, 
devoted to keeping you confused and to, to raising these these kinds of of idiotic uh, peripheral violent arguments between the two parties, which basically agree on the one the one important thing, which is that they the need for capitalism to exploit the people of America. So they, they're all kinds of things are offered to you to debate you and make you angry about particular issues, which are not the specific important uh, considerations of the time. We are up against a situation where because America is losing its hegemonic position in the world, because China has now become uh, the economic leader and is going to continue to be is way ahead of us in terms of all, all production indicators. Um, America is going to, to roll the dice and try to intimidate these other powers, China and Russia particularly, by making them into our symbolic enemies. And they're, they're dangerously pushing the, the, the envelope to the point where they appear to be willing to go all out in terms of a confrontational uh, relationship which can, which can only lead to wars. I mean, you have Ukraine now, which is which is simply America hiring the Zelensky Nazi regime in order to bait Russia and and with no limit apparently to to the lengths that they were willing to go. And you have Taiwan, which has been a part of China, was acknowledged to be a part of China as far back as the when we decoupled from Chiang Kai-shek, uh the two China policy was was uh implemented and it's never been changed until just recently. Now we've decided that Taiwan is not part of China. So we're going to we're going to we're prepared to have a, a military confrontation with the most well, the second most populous country in the world, but the one that is the economic leader and is armed with weaponry that is nuclear and is effective, more effective than what we have. We're going to have a fight with them on an island that is 12 miles off their land and 9,000 miles from ours. What, what, what species of logic is involved in this kind of operation? We're being led by functionally psychopathic people. Uh, you know, Biden is just a, a senile old man who is a front, is kind of like a, a piece of statuary that's placed on a stage and behind him are the, the operators. Behind him are the big operators, Chase Manhattan and the war machine and, uh, you know, the great banks and the real estate and the and the, uh, the insurance companies and the, and the the repositories of great wealth in this country. So and they're all willing to to double down and and bet on what is functionally an inadequate war machine to bail them out in this situation. And it it, it threatens to bring on a real Armageddon, a real uh, disaster in the world that will affect every human being. And all that just to, to try to hang on to the hegemony they've already lost. You know, Paul, I uh, got a call from Senator John Tester's office today. And uh, they asked me uh, uh, how I was doing and, and if I had any more messages, because I had written him about um, the housing crisis in Montana and across the country. And they assured me that he was doing just fine. He was really working really hard on that. 
And I, I didn't respond. I just sort of laughed to myself. I said, if you believe John to myself, if you believe John Tester is the head of the Democratic Party uh, in the Bacchus tradition of uh, being um, conservative to the nth while claiming you're somehow a member of the party of the people as the Democratic slogan goes. I said, well, you can believe that. They said, do you have anything else to say? I said, yes. Uh, would you please tell John Tester to stop voting for every increase in defense spending that the Pentagon tells the Congress to vote for? And she was taken back a bit by that, but she said, yes, she will pass on that message. Well, yeah. I'm thinking that just as with Senator Max Baucus, who I am proud to say I never voted for because of his uh, backwardness in every respect uh, as being um, essentially a, a Republican in disguise and, and never, never a part of a progressive movement in any respect, so far as I can tell. But the Democratic Party <clears throat> does uh, have on its uh, website that it's the party of the people. And I know both of you and I uh, left the Democratic Party some time back for various reasons, but is there any hope whatsoever that the Democratic Party could become a vehicle of some sort for um, breaking through this uh, Tweedledum, Tweedledee, Democratic Republican War Party? No, there's no hope at all for that, Frank. There's not the least hope in the world, and it should be anybody who has that hope should, should get rid of it because the Democratic Party is in as deep with big money, every bit as deep as the Republican Party. And in fact, the Democratic Party has now become fundamentally the war party. Uh, you know, they 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 decided that that was the uh, the way they needed to go after the 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 whole business of the Bush regime in Iraq, and you know, they, it seemed that 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 uh, feeding the war machine was the way to get funded, which which indeed it is, uh, and so they've become the representative of some of the worst ideals in American polity. The Republicans are a write off intellectually and morally and in every other way because they have never been anything but the party of massive concentrated money so you have to put that on one side that's old news we knew that in after we knew it before world war ii so that if that party is only a party regardless of what they they represent as their values the only value they really have is protecting and defending the inviolability of big money to rape this country. The Democratic Party, though, has, has devolved from, it was never very pure, as you recall, you know, going back to the civil rights days and, and the, the uh, you know, Southern states rights, Democrats and so on and so forth. It was never a, pure, a party of pure progress and it always collaborated in the exploitation of labor in spite of its uh, talking the good talk. But it was at one point during Roosevelt's time, and this is, a, you know, you got to realize we're old men now. These people who are 30 now have no idea what Franklin Roosevelt was or did. They don't, they, they don't know history. They're not taught history. I have nieces and nephews that have gone through uh, significant high-class universities who have no more knowledge of American history than the man who is uh, mowing my lawn today. It's, it's not, it, it, you're not taught anything in America. You're not taught anything real. 
you're fed lies and what is popularly known as bullshit is what you are given as if those were realities and they're not. And so you, your, your whole intellectual system is based on false premises. It's based on an, an utter lack of understanding of your own history. So no, they don't have, there's no prospect of the Democratic Party being the, being the, the, uh, the nest of a, of a nurturing of a, of a progressive element of any kind anymore. It's done. It's done. The, the hope is, I noticed today in Hedges' work, I just was in touch with Hedges about uh, Cornell West is now deciding to run for president. Well, he hasn't, he hasn't got a, a hope in hell of any kind of, of, of actual success, but what he's doing it, the reason he's doing it is to try to get some issues that are actually important before a people that seems determined to avoid them. Americans are living in a kind of a, a, a doped bliss of, I'm all right, Jack, you know, I'm, I'm okay, I'm doing so far, I'm okay. The best of the Americans, that is the ones who are doing well, not the best, but those who are doing the best economically, are content to let the country do and represent whatever it wants to do and represent, as long as they're economically okay. And the other side of that coin is that there's a huge underclass that is not okay, that is not doing well. And that is what fuels a movement toward fascism, which is what it fueled it in, in Germany was when the system breaks down, when people begin <clears throat> in large numbers begin to hurt, then you have them looking for the strongman leader, which is what pathetically Trump was supposedly trying to represent. And he may very well be the nominee for the party Republicans again, and he may very well win this time legitimately because there's that much anger and that much dysfunction in the country. Well, I remember back in uh, 2018, we had a discussion <laughs> on Helena Civic TV as part of the Helena Progressive Action Network's uh, TV series. We had we talked a bit about Trump at that point, and I was saying uh, it's hard for me to understand how people who are hurting can see any kind of uh, savior figure at all in Trump. Uh, George Will accurately described him as being a bloviating ignoramus. George Will is a Republican, who has, of course, no, no stature within the Republican Party whatsoever anymore. And I'm not sure he ever really had that much power within the Republican Party. But Cornell West is, uh, is, is part of that tradition that within Christianity, which, uh, you know, is a critique and a rejection of the whole uh, Christian dogma myth that you described before, which, uh, you know, began in what, the fourth century or so when Christianity, you know, stopped being a movement to people who followed the Jesus who said, uh, you know, whatever you do to the least of our brothers and sisters, you do to me and, and devote your life to, to, to bettering their lives and protecting them and of putting your life uh, at their level and, and helping them. Cornell West is one of those people and, and he comes out of that tradition of a, of a thinker that you may know, uh, have heard of uh, Jack Nelson Palmeyer was uh, teaching in Minnesota and he wrote a book called Jesus Against Christianity, which is <laughs> a powerful book. Um, you know, just laying out the, the story about how 
Christianity uh, within the United States for the most part has simply uh, deviated in every respect from the basic teachings of Jesus and have gotten bamboozled into uh, buying uh, other kinds of myths and dogmas. And there is a movement within Christianity, you know, that is that Cornell West is part of, that Jack Nelson Pohlmeyer part of, and, and lots of people within uh, some of the traditions. But it's still a minority movement, so far as I can tell. And and if that movement were to uh, grow and sort of um, subvert the uh, the Catholic Church and all of the the main denominations that are propping up the uh, status quo by not being faithful to the uh, radical teachings of Jesus on justice and uh, solidarity with the poor, there'd be some chance there. But again, um, that seems to be pretty much a pipe dream in, in my mind as well. Well, you know, the, the, the church has acted fundamentally as a bureaucracy, as a corporation. And I mean, the Catholic Church was up until the, the Reformation was absolutely a corporate structure. And, and it has remained in large measure a corporate structure. The Protestant churches similarly have organized as bureaucracies and they they have taken the position that, which is which is the reason that I, I find them objectionable in the extreme is that they have aligned themselves basically with the capitalist power structure and affirmed all kinds of abusive behavior on the part of governments, which is in complete and utter distinction to the, to the values, the, the moral values that Jesus taught. And of course, Jesus himself is, I mean, that's, he was crucified. And so have been so many who have tried to follow that, that line of, 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 of honoring uh, the the life of do of, of affirming the good and and working for the benefit of ordinary people. I mean, this is what Christianity was. What it gave it a raging popularity to, to begin with was that it in a world where people had no rights and virtually everyone was abused. It said, "Love thy neighbor as thyself," and that caught on tremendously with people. Uh, but it's it has the church has a history of crucifying its leaders as a the dogmatic church the the church bureaucracy, and so it's 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 a and it's a very hard sell to people ordinary mortal folks. It's a very hard sell to get them to act on the idea of extending the benefit, whatever benefit you can and you enjoy, to those who have less. It's a real tough sell. It's a it's a much easier sell to tell them to, you know, get in, get with the program and make out the best you can and the hell with everybody else. So it's it's a it's a it's 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 all about moral values in the end. But that is to say, whether society even continues to exist in the face of nuclear war threat and financial implosion, uh, it, it will require what I consider to be. A, a kind of quantum leap of human consciousness to in order for us to have any prayer of continuation as a species because we are in, the, in a trajectory which is leading us to not just to impoverishment or misery or or uh, uh, difficulty but to extinction 
we are on the road to extinction because we have turned over the whole moral operation of our world to, to essentially unmoral, immoral entities, capitalism and dogmatic religion. And that is a hard thing to stomach because it's such a sad um, future for, for all of us and our grandchildren and those people that we love and the ones who were just born today. Um, I traced my own reaction to this to uh, my mother and father who uh, were Catholics, but I will tell you that they never bought the dogmatic side of Christianity. And when they saw in the 1950s that uh, the Catholic Church was just a anti-communist, what, a religious dogma, which was inciting people to uh, go to war against the Soviet Union. I remember my mother coming home from church, looking back at the Catholic Church, which from which we had just uh, left, and she said, uh, we do not believe that. <laughs> and then she pointed in the other direction, because what she said did not believe was that anti-communism was the same as the Christianity she was raising us as, as um, adherents to. And she pointed in the other direction to a picture of Jesus on our kitchen wall and said, Christ is the head of this house. Mm -hmm. She pointed back to the priests, the right-wing Catholic priests who had been preaching anti-communism instead of Christianity said, do not follow the parade when the parade's going in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And I thank my mother for, for doing that, giving me uh, the incentive to say, Frank, you can break away from this stupid uh, dogmatic anti-communist Catholic system into genuine Christianity, and, and I've always tried to follow her. Mm -hmm. A strong woman, obviously. Yes, just great. Well, Paul, uh, do you have any additional films uh, that you are working on or things like that that you're thinking of uh, working on to carry on your message? Interesting you should ask. Yeah, I, I have uh, I have done in the last uh, in the last year, I, I, because my my assessment of our own country and where we are is is so bleak and so negative. I have thought there's not a lot of I don't have a lot of skills. I don't have a lot of abilities, but I can write. I am able to write. I can express my thoughts. So I undertook. I started about six months ago to think about the trajectory that humanity, not so much even America, but humanity is on, led by by America, because America has such terrific potency in the world, still in spite of our failures. <clears throat> and I, I was looking and looking at the trajectory and the, 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 the pattern that we're on. As a species, I began to think, unless there can be this quantum leap for which I have very little hope in human consciousness, we will not survive as a species. And I began to look into, why do you think that? Why, why, what are the reasons that you're 
that you feel that this is the case. And I researched my own postures and positions and, and information. And I began a book because it is a conviction of mine. I began a book that I have completed now and I'm, I'm, it's out now to try to find a publisher. Uh, Richard Wolf knows about it. Uh, uh, Patrick Lawrence of uh, Hedges knows about it. Uh, there, there are, and I'm, I've asked for feedback, some of the, the best minds in this country who are still functioning. <laughs> and the title of it is, is pretty hard medicine, but it's what I believe. And the title of it is The End of Man. It's a book that postulates that without radical, and I mean radical transformation in human consciousness, the human species will not survive. And the book deals with it. It begins in prehistory. It begins with the split off of the hominid line from the uh, from the primates, which occurred about a million years ago, and it traces all the way down through the earliest uh, fragments of empires that we know of, to the massive pre-industrial empires, and then on to uh, Greece and Rome. Uh, into France and England, Nazi Germany, Russia and America, and follows the trajectory of empire as it has strangled the human race and, and forced it into a channel which is, which is fatal. And it ends with uh, basically with, with uh, my own assertion that, you know, that it's, this species is the only one that has programmed its own suicide. There's never been a species. There have been species that have uh, that have created uh, uh, lack or or shortage of part of of that which they live on, and therefore have gone extinct. But we have. There's never been a species that has programmed its own demise, except for human beings. And unless we can change, and there's very little hope for that. I tried to examine possibilities, but unless we can make what amounts to an almost magical change in consciousness, we're, we're done on Earth. Earth will in some measure, in some form, continue, but human, humanity will not, and neither will most of what is of the living species of this world if it continues to be dominated by the self-destructive, poisonous ethic of capitalism. Paul, I was looking at some of the text from your your film, Let Your Life Be a Friction Against the Machine. I want to just quote back to you and, and, and see if you have anything to add to this. You say, this is where we are. The gr great question now is whether we as a nation can awaken from this long historic nightmare and face the terrifying and exhilarating prospect of living in the full light of a reality without the false props and dishonest constructs of a hoodwinked, herded and dishonored people, or whether we have internalized the falsity and disease to such an extent that it's become an organic overmastering form of insanity. In 1846, Henry David Thoreau, offended to his soul by the injustice of the American government's invasion of Mexico, protested it and went to jail for his convictions. Later, in his essay on civil disobedience, he said this, if injustice is of such a nature that it requires you to be the agent of injustice to another, 
And I say, break the law. Let your life be a counter friction to stop the machine. And that message, of course, really resonated with me because um, I too studied Thoreau. And I remember one other thing that he, he wrote because people often say, well, Frank, you know, I mean, I get the idea that this is a challenge, but I'm busy. I've got to go to work. <laughs> I, I've got to get up in the morning. I've got to brush my teeth. And they say, I'm busy, busy, busy. And Thoreau, as I quote him, said, busy, busy, busy. Everybody's busy. The question is, what are you busy about? <laughs> great, great. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, you know, it's a wake up call to each of us to say, you know, we cannot sit on the sidelines anymore and hope that somebody else will go to jail for us or someone else will organize the next protest. Uh, someone else will, uh, you know, run for president and, and get rid of the Bidens and the Obamas who never fulfilled promises of democracy. Uh, someone will replace um, Governor Gianforte, who took a $2 billion surplus and gave it mostly back in tax refunds to the rich. Somebody's got to stop all of this injustice, and who's it going to be? I guess it's going to be you and me, Paul. <laughs> well, we we keep trying. We don't. We may not have any effect, but we keep trying. It's and it's what we can do. We can think, and we can write, and we can speak, and that's that's the extent of it. And we're we're as marginalized as I mean, the best minds in the world are marginalized now, in the sense that they're kept out of public dialogue. You mentioned Hedges and Pilger and so on. These are these are the great moral geniuses of our world, and they're ignored. And uh, it's it's on a smaller scale. That's what we do, and and uh, it's all we can do. And so we do it. And you do it not because you expect to win, but because it's what's right to do. Emerson once uh, were talking with uh, Thoreau because they were neighbors. Emerson loved him, but was exasperated by Thoreau's extremism, and he said. Something was making reference to something, something or other about it was in the newspapers in the New York Times. And and Thoreau said to him, don't read the Times, read the eternities. Which I thought was well, pretty strong. And, and Emerson, Emerson had to love him in spite of the fact of his his uh, his obstreperousness intellectually. But you do what you can, Frank. You know, uh, I think we're in crisis. I think we're in in terrible trouble. But that's where we are, and you behave as you must under those conditions. You know, I was just thinking as you were saying that, that uh, I was just reminded of a Scottish philosopher named John McMurray, which you, you may have heard of. He was a Quaker, activist, teacher of um, things, and a st student of history, profound student of history, but a book called The uh, the secret of history, but he wrote in his book called Persons in Relation that he said, uh, you know, we, we essentially are social beings and we are shaped by our communities, but our communities are shaped by us. But he said, and I quote him here, all significant thinking is for the sake of action. All significant action is for the sake of friendship. Now, in a world where so much is uh, controversy, antagonism, 
that's a challenging thing, but I think he's onto something right. These people who are following Trump or DeSantis or Gianforte are not evil. In, in Socrates' words, you'd say, well, of course, they're just ignorant because ignorance is the basis for evil. That's what, that's what it's all about. But uh, friendship, because these brother, these people who are doing these things are sitting on the sidelines or following Trump or any of the Republicans who have no solutions or finding following those Democrats who are simply going, you know, the Bill Clinton route to become corporate Democrats um, as Hillary Clinton was as well. Um, they are our brothers and sisters. And uh, somehow we need to keep reaching out to them, seeing, seeing if we can reach out to them, open our hearts to them, share what we know with them and, and try to uh, move together for a better future. Paul, I wanna give you a chance to finish our conversation here. I know that uh, we could probably talk for hours as we sometimes have, uh, but uh, I want to uh, thank you for being with us and give you one more chance to uh, maybe say your last words. Well, Frank, I'm I'm grateful for the you know the opportunity to talk to you. I'm I'm grateful for the the chance to zoom uh, with uh, possibly be seen by people who may or may not take issue with what I have to say, but who at least will be exposed to it. And uh, I, I I I don't. Although I feel extremely pessimistic about America and about the chances for humanity to come around and to avoid explosive destruction of nuclear war i don't i don't live in that in that dark and pessimistic place because i think you know we are alive we have we have the gift of life random as it may be and i think what i try to do is to find what is it that i can do and say that given some kind of of uh possibility of of, uh, of making it available may have some good effect on other minds that that are lost in the dark and uh, that's why I continue to write and I don't write out of hope I, th I hope I think is a very is a maligned and misused term and it's often used to cover just a uh, an unwillingness to deal with reality I deal with reality and I try to put it out for those who can derive some benefit from it. And as in, to my mind, it's 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 what I can do with the tools I have. So I'll keep doing it, and 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 I will uh, I will work for the best. I don't hope for the best, but I'll work for the best. Paul Edwards, I want to thank you very much for your friendship and for your conversation today. And I encourage everyone to. Uh, Listen to what Paul has said. Go to his articles at Counterpunch at Information Clearinghouse, to his films uh, at uh, Class War Films. I think especially uh, the 18 minute film, which is very, very powerful, called uh, Make Your Life a Friction. Let Your Life Be a Friction Against the Machine. Thank you very much, Paul, for being part of the Montana GSA podcast here on in the beginning of June. In very, very welcome, Frank. It's a pleasure to talk to you always. Thank you. Thank you, Paul.